Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Yes, welcome back to another episode of the ESPN Footy Pod. Matt Walsh is my name. I am joined as always by Jake Michaels. Jake, welcome to the pod for another week. Am I, am I allowed to have a sip of water now? Because you, you always tell me off not to have a sip of water we, before we start. For those <laughs> listening, I know this is bad radio, but for those listening, every single week when I say I'm counting down to start the podcast, Jake just takes a sip of, sip of water, the water's sloshing around in his bottle and we have oh, to start like and to, do it again. I like to lubricate my throat. So um, <laughs> Please yeah. never use the word lubricate again <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, Christian Jolly, a big welcome to you. Thank you for not drinking uh, during the intro. I much appreciate that. Oh, good. Good to to be here. (laughs) Um, uh, As always, a lot to talk about. uh, Plenty of footy action happening. Um, But firstly, Jake, uh, you're our man who's been liaising with ESPN's newest talent, Josh Dunkley. uh, And some big news. We're going to have him on the podcast next week. Yes, very exciting. Um, so he'll he'll join us, and we've got a, a heap of really cool things that we're going to talk about. We're going to keep it really stats focused as well. Um, talking to him, linking it with uh, Christian, and talking about what he what he knows about uh, the stats and uh, what he does, you know, the life of an AFL player, what he's kind of going through each week. And I think there'll be some really good stuff there. So it's exciting mm. to have him on for the first time, and um, we're going to have, try and get him on regularly throughout the throughout this season as well. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you're not uh, a Dogs fan, absolutely encourage you to tune in because we're going to try and keep it quite broad uh, and just talk uh, being a footy player with him instead of being a Western Bulldogs player. So make sure that you, uh, you subscribe and uh, you'll get that episode as soon as it drops. Hey, before we do jump into another big episode, something from the weekend that we noticed that we might not uh, get too much time to chat about. Christian, I might start with you this week. Uh, yeah, mine was probably two very um, impressive captain performances over the weekend that, you know, of guys that hadn't been captain for too long. So Jack Steele, it's his first year in charge at the Saints. Um, And he's been awesome all year. He's probably been leading from the front, but that second half. And even when they were getting beaten in the second quarter against West Coast, I felt he stood up. Um, Just his ability to either get get behind the ball, win an intercept possession, win a clearance when it matters, lay a tackle when it matters, and then kick a goal when it matters. He's doing it all over the field. And the other one for me is Toby Green. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, just... It was one of those captain performances. I know he was sort of a stand-in vice captain um, because Cornelio was out. But, yeah, just sort of one of those performances where he just he, he carried his team on his back almost and said, hey, guys, come with me. And, uh, again, yeah, just sort of looked at those two performances. Thought, These aren't your Joel Selwood captains of 200 games or anything like that, but they were clear, noticeable leaders in, in both of those games. Mm. Jake, you've been talking uh, Toby Green up for, for a few weeks uh, as a leader this year especially. Oh, I, I mean, I love what he does. I don't think there's anyone, you know, he he can rub people up the wrong way. I get that. But I think that's kind of what we love about him. He's such a watchable player. Um, and in my opinion, I think the two clearly, uh, Buddy and Dusty, that probably sit at the top of that watchable pile, but he's probably right under them. And um, he, he strikes me as the kind of person that lo- would love to sort of be the captain and love to be the leader and sort of, the way he leads is by, you know, leading from the front and saying, come with me, this is what we're doing, and I'm just mm. going to play a blinder every week. And he's a freak. Uh, someone said during the call, he's a he's a big man trapped inside a small man's body. And he, it's true, he plays like a key forward. And he's, he's unbelievable dominant leap, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he just, his ability to use his body to get the defender out of position or jump over him is just amazing. You almost need to have a key back on him, uh, but but then he's going to run rings around your ground level. Then so he's, he's run into the midfield. <laughs> he's, a, he's an incredibly tough matchup, and and you're right. I think his leadership's gone to another level this year. Jake, something you noticed? Well, I um, I'm just trying to think of who was taking the kick, but there was a kick in the, on the halftime siren of the um, the Hawthorne Frio game. Over yeah, I think I know where you go. I think this was big man Sean Darcy, wasn't it? It was no, Sean Darcy wasn't taking the kick. Sean Darcy was uh, the Hawthorne player taking the kick, and I'm trying to remember who it was. Sean Darcy was on the goal line as the kick was being taken, and the kick fell pretty short, as in on on the goal line, but certainly not over his head. Instead of whacking the ball back into the field of play, he just kind of slapped it through for a point, uh. and that, it's a score. So the Hawks got a point for that. Now we know that the Dockers ended up winning pretty comfortably, but. You wouldn't want that to come back to bite you. I don't know why players don't get told. Make sure you don't give them a free point. Liz, yeah. Why are you giving them a free point? It's a it's a really good point. And there was another game on the weekend. I can't remember which one it was, but there was a kick from far too out, too far too far out, where it was about 
oh, 70 meters. And the guys would have had a half-hearted go. Um, and it, and it was never going to make it. And the, the players sort of touched it, but it bounced over the back and started oh, and slowly someone, rolling. And someone came the goal. and jumped and on And someone it. came and jumped yeah, on it very much at the last yeah. second. I'm there sitting, I'm looking at the TV going, Yeah, get on the ball because it yeah. might go through. But you're absolutely right. The free points are um I, I mean, how it. much would we be talking about that if, if it was a draw or if, or if the Hawks won by a point or something? I mean, you, we, we don't. No one talks about it now because because <laughs> they won the game. But it's something that I've that you do see from time to time and you think, surely there's no need to give a free point. You mm. don't do that. Yeah, okay. So my Maybe thing it's I this know... this habit that you punch it through because you're just... That's what you're supposed to do. But once the, the play of that quarter's finished... Yeah. Your mindset changes. Punch the ball the other way. Smarter footballing, Jake. That's what we need. Smart we need some, we need some smart footballers. footballers. Um, I'm not saying anything about Sean Darcy. <laughs> so, well, actually, I thought you were going to steal my something that I noticed because we did notice, both notice this on the weekend. But in the same match, Sean Darcy was having a shot at goal. Um, and Hutto was the caller. And he he lined up and he, he's kicked the goal. And I for the I was paying attention, but there was I, you know you're not paying too much attention to what the callers are saying. But I swear I heard Hutto use the f word when uh, when the ball went through. It sounded very much like that, and I reckon I've played it about fifty <laughs> times. And I think he said thump. Um, I think thump. he tried to say thump, but there's no sound. No, at the end. and it's and when he, he screams it, he doesn't <laughs> just. Like whisper it, <laughs> like the loudest word he says all call. I thought he had a deal with. Uh, he must have had a bet with BT from that uh, Swans Grand Final and the, the Swans and Dogs Grand Final when Tom Boyd sent one through from fifty five. Or you but, from last week on the pod when you had a little bit of a slip. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, thanks for that. Uh, if you do want to see what Hutto said, just search Hutto and the F word on Twitter. I'm sure you'll be able to find. It. There's a few videos there, so uh, we'll, we'll leave that up to you as to whether he said that. I thought you were going to steal mine, Jake. So I've got another no, one no. very quickly. But very cold weekend, uh, especially across Victoria. And uh, long sleeve jumpers were back. And uh, you know what? I love long sleeve jumpers. Um, so, Clarko, go and get stuffed. More long sleeve <laughs> jumpers, the better. Um, all right, let's get into it. We've got plenty, plenty to talk about, uh, including uh, what we sort of foreshadowed last week, Christian. Uh, we started planning this week's podcast last week. So, for those of you who had to uh, listen in or who listened in last week, uh, you already know what's coming. But the opposite foot kings, uh, we want to talk about. Who in the AFL at the moment is using their opposite foot the most and who is using their opposite foot the best? Uh, so you've gone and uh, had a look at some of the stats and uh, you've come up with uh, a list of names. Yeah, so we've been tracking kicking foot uh, going back to 2010 now. So basically every kick someone performs out in the field, we, we tag whether it's the left and right foot. There is um, a little bit of an asterisk on here. It's only rated kick. So again, any kick that's sort of, you know, where you're lying on your back and you just jam it on your boot um, or you kicked it on the ground to no particular target, you just try to kick it out in front of you. They're not rated in these kicks. So we won't actually track, even though we do track what foot you probably kick those with, we sort of throw them out. Uh, we call them distance or junk mm. kicks almost. It's just throwing so, it on So the you're boot. measuring attempted effective kicks. Yeah. So when you've actually had time to, it, it doesn't have to be effective. Just when you've got clear intent to the kick, yep. you've, you've kicked it downfield to a leading target or to space. What about if you contest. kick it off the ground and through for a goal? Is that yeah, count? that'll be, that'll be counted. Uh, any kick off the ground to a teammate and things, just not the kicks off the ground that are sort of just, you know, hack forward and, um, we, we sort of, we tag a kick called distance, which is almost like a junk distance. It's just, I was just trying to get it onto my boot. I wasn't trying to hit any particular player. It was just, most of the time, it's just, I'm trying not to get caught holding the ball. So we do take those kicks out. But again, so what we can look at is, yeah, who uses their opposite foot the most or the least. Um, and on top of that, we can apply kick rating to how often you hit the target compared to the rest of the competition on either foot. So yeah, got a heap of information again, going back to 2010. So just quickly um, for this year, I'll flag a name that'll that'll come high up in the future of this if we had done it probably in a year's time is Nick Cox from Essendon. Mm. Uh, so he's had 34 rated kicks uh, this year. 10 have been on the opposite foot. So that's 42%. And he's the highest of anyone in the competition this year. He, um, he, um, he actually got a mention in our stocks up, stocks down column uh, as a stock up uh, for the Bombers. What a, what a performance, like just not just his kicking, but those clever handballs. He looks like a really clever player. Doesn't look like a, doesn't look a 270 yeah, type. About to say what, <laughs> what we just said about Toby Green. He's a small, you know, he's a small man, you know, or he's a yeah. man in a small man's body. I think, yeah, Nick Cox is almost the opposite. He's, he's a genuine midfielder in a, in a 200, 202 centimeter body. 
but yeah, he's he's coming up high on um, athlete tracking numbers, GPS numbers. So he's a he's a good mover. He's a um, an endurance runner. He's a fast runner. And then you apply this other thing of you know, I just as I said, I've I've kept everything to fifty as a minimum kicks across 2010 to here. So he doesn't quite fall into that category with only 34 kicks at the moment. Mm. Uh, but as I said, 42%, you know, he, again, when we talk about rating on the opposite foot, he is negative 8% on his opposite foot. So it's probably just slightly below the average of where you want to be on your opposite foot. Not everyone's at 0%. So what would 0% um, mean? Uh, like every second, if you kick two on your, your opposite foot, one's effective and one's not. Uh, so again, it's all to do with the intent. So if I'm kicking to a lead target and the yep. guy takes a lead mark, I'll get, you know, the plus 100 more. If right. that's a 60% hard kick and I hit the lead, that's 100% for me. It's and I finished plus 40% for that kick. Right. So it's taking every single kick and sort of looking at, if you hit the target, we'll give you 100% of, you know, minus whatever that kick was um, rated or the difficulty of that kick was rated at. Right. Same as if you, if you miss it. So if you have a shot for goal at a, deep in the pocket while getting tackled, it might be 20% success rate. You miss the goal, uh, you'd be on negative 20%. But a guy that misses a goal from the top of the goal square would be on negative 95% for so that. So the guy. Josh Bruce special yeah, when he's running into an open yeah. goal. So <laughs> it, it is. It's a, just a, you know an ongoing count of every single kick. and where Right, so he's not far off being on par. Correct, yeah, negative 7.5%. It's not great, but again, it's not nothing to sort of... But uh, when we talk about par as in zero, is that a pure, the average... Are we talking about zero as being the average? Um, I would, yeah, it, it would be the average now, especially going back. So again, it might not be the average because all of our kicks are rated based on how hard they were from 2010 to 2021. Um, so again, it's it slowly the, the rating slowly you know rolls and evolves as more kicks are taken from each position. So um, yeah, I'm assuming if we go back to all players 2010 onwards, the, the average would be at zero percent. But as we move into this year, players might be taking a lot more easier kicks. So mm. the, I haven't looked at it, but the average might be plus 3% just because yeah. kicks are getting easier than they were. But it's going to be around that mark. Around yeah, that. correct. So it's going to come back and um, up and down across seasons. So again, yeah. So looking at um, career or, you know, what we call career 2010 to 2021, it's a, you know, a good 11 seasons years worth of data now. Um, I'll, I can sort of start on the guys that don't use their opposite foot. So the guys that have had the most kicks, uh, rated kicks, without ever recording one on their opposite foot. Without ever recording one? Correct. So okay. for us, uh, so the number one player for that is Jake Waterman. So again, 309 rated kicks, zero on his opposite foot. So that doesn't mean to say, again, he might have had a he's a right, right foot. So he yeah. might have had a left foot ground kick or he might have had a left foot kick that went two meters in a pack or something. They're not rated um, because I think he's had about 360 career kicks or something, but only 309 have actually been rated, you know, kicks yeah. um, and zero on the opposite. Second most uh, behind him, Alex Silvani at 298. And third uh, is another uh, current day player is Paddy Dow at Carlton. So 292 career kicks and yet to use his opposite. So that surprised me. Um, it didn't surprise me too much being a cult spot. I mean, I can't picture him going <laughs> to his left, but he doesn't seem to be one of those midfielders that seems to get himself into trouble and, you know, kick it on the outside of his right boot often. So it yeah. uh, hasn't been noticeable uh, noticeable to me that he's, you know, refuses to use his left foot. But again, More of a hand passer anyway, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. So, but I mean, yeah, 292 without going to the opposite side. So this is bizarre to me because uh, I played junior footy. So up until I was 18 at... Um, what happened? Why didn't you make the big time? <laughs> <laughs> Which injury? I was struck down in my prime. Um, no, I just, just ran out of time. And then, um, you know, you start getting into sports journalism and you can't play on a Saturday. So, uh, but I, 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 I've used my left foot. My left foot is, is okay. Jake, you'll remember this. And this is very been niche. bragging about your left foot. This is, this is up there with the bounce, the, the umpire's bounce that I reckon I can do. <laughs> but this was at the ESPN um, meeting we had in Sydney a couple of years back with all the team. And we were trying to make up like what each person could do better than anyone else in the team. And I said, I could probably kick as far on my opposite foot as I can on my regular foot. And I think that's true. And I'm a, I'm a decent kick on my left foot and I'm a hack. So why aren't these blokes using their left? Uh, well, they're question. right if they're a left footer, because I reckon you call, here, here's another thing. So while, while I'm on a roll, while I'm on a roll, um, I know that right footers get a bad rap when they don't use the left foot, but left footers don't use their right foot a lot. I reckon, I reckon there are a ton of left footers that just flat out refuse to use their right foot. And you can absolutely tell. Yep. So again, we'll step into that. So who does use their opposite foot the most? So I've looked at it again, 2010, 2021. I think there's 43 players that have had at least 50 kicks 
that have used their opposite foot 20% of the time at least. See, that's so not bad. One in, one five, in five. So there's, yeah. there's 43 of those players. 40 of those are right footers. So only three left footers in, in those uh, 12 years have at least used their right foot one in five times. So you've, you're, right foot you're very much right. The guys that are sort of um, ambidextrous or using that? both like, sides yeah. seem What's to be bizarre, more right footers. Isn't it? That is bizarre. I, 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 yeah, I don't know the answer to any of these questions. I don't know why, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not a left footer, so I can't put myself in their shoes. But again, if you, I had you, to guess, I would have thought it would be almost the other way around. Yeah, because like left foot, left handers, I suppose, are yeah. kind of forced to use a lot of exactly. right hand instruments and all this sort of stuff. I guess it's a bit um, different for kicking, but yeah, I don't know. It's just yeah. bizarre that it that it happens like that. It right. Just so like it's- we've been we. We've been through players that use are happy to use their opposite foots. What about those who are actually the best at using their opposite foots? Do you have any data on if you say you've kicked, you know, 300 times on your opposite foot, um, who's sort of kicking an effective kick the most percentage of the time? Because there are yeah, a few yeah. players. So I'll, I'll just quickly roll off the names that do use their opposite foot the most. So Sam yes. Mitchell um, is yep. obviously the number one. So we 1,024 kicks on his right foot, 1,022 kicks on his left foot. <laughs> Um, from 2010 onwards. So again, this isn't his whole career, but this is probably the, you know the, the peak in, um, uh, peak of his career towards the end. So it was almost like he was trying to just keep it identical throughout exactly. his career. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like the last kick. If he ever used his left foot or his, you know, if he ever <laughs> used his left foot instead of his right foot on his last kick, if he had a, could have done that again, he would have had a perfect 50-50 split. But he was um, plus four percent on his right foot plus two percent on his left foot so, so pretty close to being the same either yeah uh, other guys that have used it a fair bit angus brayshaw sorry to say that but, but is plus four percent good this is what i'm trying to get the what are we talking about is a good um i would say yeah so looking at these numbers anything above again because we're looking at so many years and so many kicks anything about seven seven percent eight percent seems to be close to the elite uh bracket okay, I would have thought it would be a bit higher than that then yeah, so yeah, exactly. It's not. I mean, they're both in the positives. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're not. They're not huge numbers. Angus Brayshaw is the next most. He's used his opposite foot thirty-three percent of the time, yeah, okay. um, and he's he's plus one percent on his preferred side, negative two percent on his um, on his opposite side. Is so, that yeah. pretty standard across the league that there is a fair drop off? Yeah. Sure, you can choose to use your opposite foot, um, but you're going to obviously suffer in the quality of ball that's coming off the foot. Yeah, again. So, I think that's the nature of having a preferred foot is that you prefer yeah. to kick on that. Well, and and, and the Mitchell. kick rating does, I mean, the kick <laughs> rating doesn't take into account whether your left foot's your preferred foot or your dominant foot, but it does take into yeah. account a left footer from this position hits the target X amount of times right. and you're using your left foot there. So, uh, yeah, it, it comes into the ratings and it probably helps even out because you, if you are a right foot and you need to use your left foot, you're going to use it when you really, really have to. And usually that's going to be a, you know, a tighter situation. So it's like, oh, you're only expected to hit that. 13% of the time anyway. So you're not going to use your left foot kicks on a kick that's usually got a 90% hit rate or an 80% hit rate like you're going to use your dominant foot on. So there's always um, sort of, you know, the, the opportunity a player has to use his, his opposite foot is probably going to help keep the number slightly higher because they're not, mm-hmm. it's not just like, all right, I've used my right foot here and now I've got to use my left foot and now I've got to use my right foot. That's when you'd mm-hmm. see the numbers really fluctuate. Uh, but yeah, guys probably using their opposite foot when, they, when they're in position to do so so the the best kicks on the opposite foot um and again two current day players are at the same team so this is a little bit of um uh, genius recruiting for me but nick hind is number one so he's actually 10 percent of his kicks have been on his opposite foot and he's at plus 15 percent on his left foot for his kick rating plus four percent on his preferred foot so um yeah when he's choose to use his opposite (laughs) foot he's uh hit the target um couple of left footers are actually second and third um, best on their opposite foot. Aaron Davey was at plus 12% um, on his right foot and he was at 8% kicks on his opposite foot. Yeah. Uh, Troy Menzel, another left footer, he was Troy at plus Menzel. 12% on his right foot. And again, he had about 12% kicks what's, on his opposite foot. This is a question without notice, but what's like the standard um, like percentage of time you will use your opposite foot? So is it, is it like a 90-10 split? What's the yeah, average over the- Yeah, I would say about that. It's probably just... Yeah, in between five to ten percent for your opposite foot, it seems okay. to be across again across that looking at the the twelve years average. Um, but yeah, fourth on this list for best opposite foot is Dan Butler. So another St Kilda traded in player in recent years. Um, plus eleven percent on his opposite out of his and he's thirteen percent of the time he uses his opposite. Uh, plus eleven percent on his left and plus one percent on his right. So 
Again, Nick Hind and Dan Butler. Um, and then sixth on the list is another one that is another St. Kilda player, Josh Battle, who's actually plus 10%. Hmm. So these guys, you know, whether it's a coaching thing or a decision-making thing, when they're caught on the opposite side, these guys are actually pulling off really, really good kicks and hitting the target. Um, but yet none of them are at that 20, 25% of using their opposite foot. So they, they, they use it sparingly, but they use it well. Um, and both of those three uh, are from St Kilda. So that, that's probably what stood out to me is, yes, yeah, St Kilda have actually got Nick Hine, Dan Butler and Josh Battle. Well, they had, they had Nick Hine. Oh, sorry. Yes. He's a, yeah. Well, sorry. Developed by St Kilda. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I keep getting <laughs> They should have kept him. Yeah. Because when I was looking at these numbers, he did have a little St Kilda. Um, yeah. He had both clubs next to him. So yeah, no, actually yeah. you got that. Mindset, a... but yeah. So Dan Butler and Josh Battle, but yeah, Nick Hind, another one that's sort of again at Essendon now, but yeah. Plus yeah, that's really He's been the best for the last what, years. Just one off the top of my head, and um, I, I noticed this again on the, the last two weeks uh, watching Carlton games, is that Sam Petrescu-Seaton uses his left foot a fair bit. He would have to be up there as in terms of using their opposite foot the most uh, in, a, in, a, in a team sense, wouldn't he? Because he's, um, he's quite happy to turn onto the left, even in the wet. I've got them all here in front Ooh, of me. Question so, without notice. Yeah, no, he's only... I mean, he's only... It's not a Carlton podcast. Of, yeah, five out of fifty-five, so he's at ten percent. So okay. yeah, he's, that's that's just for this year. So he's right in the middle. Um, and again, previous years he's not currently on my page. I think another player we we spoke about um, was still side bottom. Who yeah, yep. so still side bottom. Yeah, was was just um, the next name sort of in that most year. So he's at. Uh, Let's go back to my notes here. So he's at 31% on his opposite foot. So as I said, the top the top two were Sam Mitchell, 50%, Angus Brayshaw. There was also Tom Swift, uh, West Coast midfielder, who were both at 33%. Um, and a couple other names at 32%, Jaden Pitt, Ian Callanan, so not huge names, and then still side bottom at 31%. Um, and he's actually, yeah, plus 3% on his dominant foot, negative 3% on his opposite foot. So... A little bit of a swing there, but not evens out. <laughs> it evens out. Certainly does. Uh, any any stuff. other interesting nuggets before we move on, Christian? I'll just give you the again looking at the guys that you know left footers, as we said, don't use their right foot. So I, <laughs> I just thought I'd look at which left footers did use their right foot the most. And um, again, from 10, 2010 to twenty one, Cameron Ling actually used his opposite foot or his right foot twenty one percent of the time. Uh, for a plus four uh, percent kick rating, which is pretty good. Alan Didak was twenty percent on his right foot, and yeah, the current okay. day player is Dylan Shield, who's actually is also at twenty percent on his right foot. I was so, going to say Dylan Shield. He, he yeah. tends to use it a bit, not necessarily. Think, yeah, what's he may use it a bit, but what's yeah. the uh, the efficiency like on his opposite? Yeah, negative five percent on his opposite, negative one percent on his dominant. So either way, he's a butcher. What about Alan Didak? <laughs> I was a big Alan Didak fan, even as a Carlton. Yeah, so he Carlton. was he was uh, plus two percent on his opposite, negative one percent on his dominant. So yeah. while, while you've got the stats in front of you, I know that we're just throwing <laughs> ones without notice. But Adam Trelaw gets a, a fair whack for being not great with disposal, but I don't think he's as bad as what the yeah. what the, what people sort of say during commentary. Like, what's what's his stats on his on his preferred and his non preferred? I guess. Oh, he's scrambling here. <laughs> yeah, so he's at, <laughs> it's good radio. He's at fifteen uh, percent on his opposite foot. Um, yeah, plus one percent on his dominant and negative five percent on his opposite. So, right. so he's a butcher on his uh, wrong foot then. Yeah. So anything <laughs> again, looking at these numbers, you'd say anything yeah below seven or eight percent would put you in the poor category. Yeah. And above seven eight percent. So a lot of these guys we're talking about are you know either just in the below average category or above average. Um. But yeah, that plus fifteen percent for Nick Hine. That's as I said. That's the only thing I'll say is that we probably do need to move on. But it's interesting because not a lot of forwards there that you mentioned. Because I feel you know a lot of forwards oh, going to be yeah. taking set shots, not necessarily going to be using your wrong foot. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it does seem to be. As I said, that it's chicken and the egg. You've got a guy that can kick both feet. You're going to want to put him at half back or on the wing. You're going to want to put him further up the field to utilize that skill. Out of yeah. Him. Mm, good point. Uh, let's move on. Uh, there are three, four, and zero teams. Uh, well, four, un- sorry, three, three undefeated four, teams. That, that's hard to say. <laughs> oh, I've made a meal of that. There are three undefeated teams uh, still at the top of the ladder. The, the Western Bulldogs, Melbourne, and uh, probably surprisingly to some, Sydney. Um, Christian, we sort of tasked you as well, um, and we'll have some input as well, uh, what these teams are doing well, and if there are any sort of similarities between the, between the sides in, in terms of they're all doing sort of similar things at, at, at similar parts of the ground. So 
Did, were you able to find anything that sort of these three teams have been particularly good at in 2021? Yeah, so the two key stats, and we know this from premiership standards from other years, so points from turnover differential. So being able to score your opposition from turnover game. Uh, these teams are the top three teams in that stat. Uh, Sydney plus 131, Bulldogs plus 106, and Melbourne plus 98. So that's, well, that's it. on the scoreboard. Are they right, the top three? That, that's they're, it. they're the top that, three. And then Gold that's Coast all you is need fourth. to do. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's a big part of the game. Gold Coast is fourth at plus 40. So those three are oh, one well ahead. way ahead. So plus 98, Melbourne at third, and plus 40 at Gold Coast for fourth. So, again, every Premier has finished in the top six of this stat across the last 15 years. These these three teams are the top three in it and top three by a long way. Mm. Um, so that's, yeah, being able to score from the turnover. And then the other thing that they're all doing well, I mean, contested possession differential, first, third, and fourth between them with Port nestled in between them at second. Uncontested possession differential, their first, third, and sixth, which is Melbourne. So, again, more, more about winning the ball at the source um, is very important. But they're also the top three sides at applying pressure. So, Melbourne's the number one side this year for applying pressure. Sydney second and Bulldogs third. So, to be able to apply the pressure, get the turnover, and then score from that turnover better than your opposition is clearly mm, the, yeah. the part of the game that these three teams are doing well. So, you know, a couple of things that they're sort of doing differently is Melbourne and Bulldogs are really high up for forward half time in forward half. So they're plus 10 minutes and plus 12 minutes. So really what we sort of call bullying the team and owning the territory in their forward half. The Swans don't have it in their forward half as much. I think they're only seventh for time in um, forward half differential, but then the number one side for scoring once they get the ball inside their forward half. So for every 50 minutes they have in their forward half, they score 112 points, which is clearly (laughs) number one. Um, Bulldogs are at 91 points mid-table and Melbourne's at 79, which is at the bottom. So again, Bulldogs and Melbourne, the ball's living in their forward line and they're getting their scores that way, but it's a little bit of a slog for them. Sydney, the ball's actually living as much in their back half as it is their forward half, but once they get it past centre, as I said, they're one of the best teams at scoring, you know, once they get it in their forward half and 112 points um, per 50 minutes in your forward half is just Mm. dominant. So in terms of what they're all doing the same, yep, scoring from turnovers pressure, the thing they're doing differently at the moment is Sydney's probably a lot more of trying to run the ball into their forward half and score um, dynamically and quickly, whereas the Bulldogs and Melbourne are probably more likely to lock it in their forward half and slog it out for a score from there. Yeah, Speaking sort of away from pure statistics for a second, but there's something in common for these three sides as well for me that I'm sort of have noticed the ruck setups and Jake, I know that you're not a big fan of Ruckman and think you could probably do without him, but the dogs getting Stefan Martin in allowing Tim English to go forward and he kicked three goals on the weekend. And then Tim English can pinch it in the ruck um, and Martin can go and have a break. The D's Luke Jackson bobs up in the forward line and is a real presence around the ground. And Max Gorn can kind of do what he wants when, when Jackson's in the middle and the Swans picking up Tom Hickey, um, I think in terms of AFL player ratings, let me just get this up. He's just about, I think he's Sydney's number one player at the moment, um, averaging 15.7 in AFL player ratings so and far this good. season. And he's, he's the really AFL, good. he's a 16th ranked player in, in the league. So I, I know that you're not a big fan of rucks, but it sort, of, it sort of seems like these three sides are using the rucks to their best ability and and getting the most out of them as well. Yeah, but what about Brody Grundy? Everyone carries on about how Brody Grundy is the, the best ruckman in the comp and, and Collingwood's 14th have won one game. So I, I don't read too much into the ruck. But I, I find it interesting what you say, Christian, about the about um, the contested part. So they're the top – did you say they were the top three contested teams? Contested possession um, differential. Yeah, and, and and oh, sorry, three of the top four, and the other, the fourth is sorry, second, port. second was Port, yeah, and fourth on the ladder. So we've got the top four in contested ball winning in the top four positions mm. on the ladder. So again, I don't think it's always translated that way, where the contested teams are always at the top. I think there was, I think Hawthorne was famous for not winning a lot of contested ball in their dominant years, mm. but um, I think. I almost get the sense that with the new rules, the winning contested ball feels more important now. I don't know if that might just be a, a weird thing to sort of, I don't know, it just seems like because you do have a bit more space and you can move the ball quickly, getting your hands on it at, at the source and be able to move it is more valuable than what it has probably been in previous years and when we had a few more stoppages. Yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. Um, let's move on. We, we do have more to get through. In fact, we're kind of, Keep it on in a similar kind of vein, though, Jake. I might sort of yes. list a few teams for you um, and ask you if you trust them or not. Uh, okay. Because, you know, sure, we're a month in now, so we've kind of got a gauge of what teams are, are capable of. But there are a few sides inside the top eight at the moment where you're probably going to raise your eyebrows. So the dogs, do you trust them? 
Yeah, I do. I trust the dogs completely. Um, I would be, you know, in terms of tipping, I'd probably tip the dogs just about against anyone at the moment. They're playing really good football. As you say, Martin has been a good pickup and it has allowed Tim English to to create a, a nice three-pronged attack in the, the forward line. Josh Bruce has proven he can kick a bag when he has to and Aaron Norton is just about one of the best contested marks going around. And then we've got the 100 million um, forward, mids, mid forwards that we talk about. Um, they're a really complete side. They're playing well. And when they can have a, a, yeah. a good win over a quality side in Brisbane and someone like Caleb Daniel could pretty much be non-existent, I think yeah. it shows the quality that they've got. And they've got so many A-grade players, probably the most in the comp, really, when you think about it, that um, you only need each of them to have three or four really good games throughout the year and they're going to dominate throughout the whole year. So mm. they're doing that at the moment. They're getting a good spread. And if it's not Bont and Pally, McRae will get you. And if it's not McRae, Trelaw will get you. And that's what they're doing. And it's really good to watch at the moment. So, yes, I trust them completely. Yeah, they've got a lot of A-grades, but the role players are doing well. I mean, you look at the likes of Bailey Williams off halfback. Bailey Dale's been really impressive this season. I think they're getting the most out of the 22 on the park at any, any one week. Yep. Um, the D's. Do we trust the D's? Um, I probably don't quite trust them as much as the dogs just yet because I have, you know, been burned a little bit with the D's in the past. Mm. Um, but having said that, uh, and to go back to what Christian said about the D's, um, they're having the ball. So, so what did you say about the D's? They're having the ball in the forward line. Yeah, in their so they're in half, their forward half, they're, which, they're which hasn't been a new thing though, that much, because it's considering how much ball they have, which is kind of a problem that they've had in the past. Yes. Yeah, so they're still thirteenth or fourteenth once scoring inside fifty. And again, we were talking last year; they were at eighteenth in world record low. So they're still not; they haven't they haven't become the cleanest side inside fifty. But they just sort of said, "Well, if we could actually live it there." Their defence, though, has been awesome. They've been one of the hardest teams to score against going down the other end. So it, it's held them in good stead. It's not like they're, they're locking the ball in their forward half and if teams are able to get it out, they're, they're out into the open and away to the races. They've also kept their defence well. But what I, the reason I trust Melbourne, and again, it goes back to my you know big call at the start of the year. I said they you know probably finished top four. And the reason I trust them is because that group that they have, it's such a core group, including the coaches. They've been together for four or five years. They haven't gone out and got any... Yeah you know, huge free agents. I know they got Stephen May to sort of slot in and Jake Lever in that time, but those guys have been there for three or four years now. They're, this team, again, I think it just feels like they've had the, the ingredients there and it just hasn't, you know, actually mm. worked on the field for them since that they made the prelim so many years ago. This year, I just felt like they're, they're rolling out the same, the same group of players, a bit more experience, hopefully a bit more um, connection with them. And that's why at the moment, what they're doing, they're not winning pretty. They're not winning, you know, yeah. the stats aren't sexy or anything, but they, what they're doing is they're ticking all the boxes and uh, they continue to play the game that suits them, which is, yeah, con- contested, you know, sort of slower locking in our forward half. But again, having the form that May, Lever and Tomlinson have been in across their back six has, has probably been their main difference this year that they've they've kept their offense going pretty steady, but it's been able to sort of lock up their defensive end if they don't score and the ball goes rebounding against them. Um, they're not getting opened up this year. For, for me, it's the maturity and leadership. I think um, taking the captaincy away from Jack Viney has been really good for his footy. Just he can he can focus on footy. He's just a footy beast. Loves the contest. Loves just cracking in. Um, having that additional sort of pressure on him, it's just much more suited to someone like Max Gorn, who's, who's a just a a fantastic media leader. I know that you know media leader isn't the be on all and end all, but Viney's still an on field leader. Um, Jake Lever, when Stephen May went down, was marshalling the troops in the back uh, in the back line and just oozes leadership for someone who's so still quite young. Christian Petrarca does it on the field, you know, thirty-five and two goals or whatever he had. But then his post-match interview, he was quite like mature compared to what I've seen from him in, in years gone by, and that's why I, I trust him. I think they're I think they're they're legit and and, and ready ready to go. Um, I know we, we've got to sort of keep this quick. Uh, the Swans, do do either of you trust the Swans to uh, to make finals and 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 have a shake? Um, again, I go back to the turnover game. Yes, they've, they've nutted out the main part of the game. It's it's nothing they're doing is too fluky for me at the moment. It's probably been better than you could imagine. But um, yeah, for, for what they're doing and what parts of the game they're doing well, you, you've got to trust them. Port Adelaide, Jake? When you say trust, are we tr- saying we trust them to play finals? To, to, well, we trust them in terms of you go into every game and you think, yeah, they're probably going to win. Yeah, I think Port, I would say, yeah, I think so. Um, I think Port had a really, really horror day against West Coast. You take that out, I think they've been pretty good. I know the first two rounds, you can probably argue they didn't really, they didn't 
beat anybody. But I think going and beat, beating Richmond after the Tigers came off one of their worst losses in in a few years, I think, mm-hmm. is a pretty good pretty good scalp. I, I trust them, even though they've got a, f- a few injuries to some of their um, younger players. Yeah, when I say trust, I mean like they're an honest side. Like, if, yeah. if that kind of what, yeah. Um, the well, the next the next team on the list is probably one that will raise eyebrows. The Crows. Does uh, anyone trust them, or are we sort of still just? I mean, they've had a, a decent run. Uh, I reckon I trust them in the sense that I know, I kind of know the baseline performance week I'm going to get mm. from the Crows week in, week out. But it's that is just not going to be good enough throughout the course of the year to be in a position to play finals. I still think the Crows probably only win four or five games for the year. I don't see the Crows winning four or five more games or two total. more games. I reckon they win two, maybe three more games for the year. I can't see the Crows winning. Winning right. another so, eight games, so they're not being honest because their ladder position sort of doesn't reflect their. No, but I think they played Geelong in the first round and beat and won. Geelong. They won, yeah. And Geelong, you know, it's round one. You think crazy things happen in round one. They beat Gold Coast um, again. Gold Coast. Uh, who else did they beat? They beat North. North. So I mean, yeah, they beat North. Pelican. So I mean, it's. I, I'm, I kind of know what I'm going to get with with them, and I just don't think what they're going to. And again, we, we talk about Tex. Tex had the three of his best games that he's played in those first three rounds. I, I just don't know we're going to get they're going to be winning a lot of games. But I do. I, I don't. I also don't think. I think their standard has increased from what we probably expected we were going to see from them. So from that point of view, I kind of trust that they're playing better than what I thought. If that makes sense. Right. Uh, I think I know the answer. But the Eagles. I don't trust the Eagles at all. Uh, <laughs> we'll get we'll get into that. We'll get into that. The Blues. Do you trust the Blues? No, I don't trust the Blues either. Sitting um, seventh at the moment on the ladder. Yeah, I know they are, but they're two and two. And again, they they beat Gold Coast um, and they beat the Frio Dockers. Frio Dockers for the previous week. So look, they've again two wins. Two wins they probably should have had. Frio without Nat Fife uh, playing over here. I mean, you should be should be beating Frio over here without Fife and Gold Coast again. Can I make the argument Carlton would have lost that in previous years, which they have? But at the same time, I think Carlton is uh, a team that has been wildly overrated this year. I think people have expect people have almost said if Carlton don't play finals, it's a something's gone horribly wrong. I just don't see. I think there's. I, I said at the start of the year, I think there's 10, 11 teams that are better than Carlton this year. Uh, the Tigers uh, rounding out the top eight. Christian, do we trust them to come back and uh, and definitely? Yeah. <laughs> no, they're finished. <laughs> they're done. You've heard it here first. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to be the first to ride off Richmond. No way. Uh, anyone outside the eight? I mean, the few sides out outside the eight, which are probably you think would be in that conversation. I think St Kilda kind of salvaged a bit of respect and 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 saved yeah, their season a little them. bit. Yeah. I don't trust the Saints. I don't trust the Cats at the moment. The I don't. Cats. Tr- I don't trust. You know, the Bombers pl- have played well in p- patches. I don't trust any of those sides at the moment. So the you're probably trusting like, six out of the six out of the top eight and then not many in, in the bottom eight. I don't the bottom trust 10. anyone right now that's not in the top eight. And even in the top eight, the only teams I trust would be the Dogs, the Swans, Port and Richmond, really. I mean, that that's it. Fair enough. Um, how, can you, how can you trust 11, 12 teams? Because like, you're going to be let down. <laughs> no, I, I know trust is a bit of a, an open word, but, you know, you sort of, you, well, and this is going to segue into the next part, but you, you said you don't trust the Eagles. Fair no, enough, because they, they're a completely different side when they're not playing at home. Well, they are. And they're, you know, not dissimilar to to their crosstown rival Frio. They, they're such a different side when they play at home. I think it's probably more stark with the Eagles because they are a, a flag contender. Yeah. Um, oh, it was embarrassing the, the way they folded like a like a house of cards against St Kilda. And 33 points up. You've got to win. Give credit to the Saints. But to, be, to have such a significant advantage um, over here, and I think... I think from one from halfway through the third quarter, that Saints kicked like nine goals to one point or something like that. So it was just it was a complete smashing capitulation. And you know we saw it, um, we've seen it before. It's, we've we've spoken about this on the podcast in previous years. West Coast look almost unbeatable over in Perth, and then the following week they get on the road, come over to Melbourne, and they just look like it's almost like have they sent their reserves? It just doesn't <laughs> Chris, look Christian. Do the stats back this up? Are they a completely different side at home uh, compared to away? Yeah, so, I mean, we're sort of speaking with Jake 
pre-pod and we might sort of try to dive into this a bit more um, in coming weeks and um, on ESPN. But yeah, just uh, looking at 2017 to 2021, 39-10 when they play in Perth, 23-23 when they travel on the road. So huge difference there. Again, there's a myriad of stats you can go through and handpick and cherry pick. The one that sort of stood out to me just from the top of my mind just dominant quarters. So again, just being able to kick five goals in a quarter. I thought that's, that they seem to have a lot more dominant quarters at home than they do on the road. They get um, massive run-ons over in Perth and they can't. Yeah. So they've, they've probably played, I think in that time, they've played nine more quarters at home than they have interstate. Uh, but 55 times. How does 50, that work? How do you play nine more because quarters? Because they've had a couple of home fights. So they, they haven't played a 50-50% split of home and away <laughs> since 2017. Oh, so I think they've played three more home games. Uh, sorry, 12 more. Uh, Couldn't it always be an even amount? Like, 12, yeah, 12, 12, 12 does, more. Does home so count as more, away yeah. games to Frio? Yeah, so I've looked yeah, at right. state and interstate. Oh, so, yeah, okay, it's just you. in Perth, they're 39 and 10, 23-23 uh, when they left Perth. So, But, yeah, looking at five-goal quarters, they've had 55 when they've played in Perth um, in that time and 25 when they've played away in that time. So 30 fewer. 30 fewer. From, from only a couple of less fewer yeah. games. Yeah. So, again, that's that's the one for me. I just I feel like, yeah, there's a, even the games at West Coast do win in Melbourne, it might be a few – three or four goal quarters and they'll limp over the line. Whereas in Perth, you just go, well, they've just set up, you know, how many times have they blown the game out yeah. of the water in the first or second quarter? So that's the big number for me. Frio, same sort of thing. 24-22 at home in that time, 10 and 31 away. Um, and then you just Such look at everything. Mince. Yeah, you look at everything. And one, the one for me is, you know, they're plus two for clearances in Perth, um, which would be like the third best, but they're negative two clearances per game when they go away and that's 13th. Like, that shouldn't change no matter what no. venue you play at. A ball yeah. gets thrown up or throw in and you win a clearance. But for some reason, they can't just they can't do that on the road as well as they can at home. So It's bizarre, yeah, it's, isn't it? It's, there's, a, there's a lot of bizarre things and it's, yeah, it's been an <laughs> ongoing problem for both of them. Yeah, we might have to deep dive into that a bit more because I'm sure you, there are a few more stats that probably illustrate just how stark it is. But um, I think you could even look at players. I think there's, yeah. there's probably quite a few players that have a bit of a drop-off when they, when they leave the yeah. state as well. So. Again, I mean, we'll, we'll visit this, but interesting to me that the... the one that always gets smashed is West Coast forwards clearly drop off. So Jamie Cripps, yeah. Josh Kennedy, Jack. But that's got to be part of delivery from. So it's also again keep going mm. back to chicken and the egg sort <laughs> of thing. It's like, well, is it the forwards' fault they're not playing well? Is it because they're not getting as much to, much supply? Uh, so yeah, we looked at it previous years, but they, you do you find the West Coast forwards are the, often the first ones to get smashed for their bad away performances, uh, but can't you know can't completely be their fault you can't even blame the crowds either because we we saw it last year and they, we didn't have crowds so i mean no excuses mm. get it get it sorted <laughs> <laughs> sort it out all right let's move on uh big news out of aflw adelaide skipper chelsea randall is going to miss uh the grand final uh adelaide and brisbane on saturday 2 p.m at adelaide oval because of the 12 day concussion protocol that was brought in pre-season jake uh mm. she got she got hit in the prelim um, uh, the Melbourne player as well uh, would have missed if, if yep. they'd made it through, um, which is obviously quite shattering. And uh, it's raised questions about whether this is the best application of this rule. And I raise this because, firstly, it is, it is shattering for, for the Crows and, and Chelsea Randall because she won't get to run out there with her teammates um, at the end of the year and, and have a chance to win what I guess is technically back-to-back flags because there wasn't a grand final <laughs> last year. But... It, it's, I, I'm not too sure that it's the best application of the rule because I know that it's a bit different in AFLW because it's such a short season and they've got no need for something like a pre-finals buy, for instance, or a pre-grand final buy. But there's a get-out clause in the men's comp because they do have a buy just before the finals and they've got a much longer season. So this is why they brought this in to get teams fresh for finals. But if this were to happen to Dustin Martin in the prelim, right, you know, or, or, or Trent Cochin, you know, the comparable skipper, and, and they missed the grand final because of, you know, a 12 day concussion protocol, even though the concussion might not be as severe or, or whatever. You yeah, know, I know. Should they move it to a pre grand final buy instead of a pre final buy just to avoid this sort of. No, they shouldn't. And and the rule was brought in. And, and look, I get what you're saying, but you're saying if it was Dustin Martin or Trent Cochin, well, what if it's. And look, no, no disrespect to. Jason Castagna or Jake Arts, but what if it's one of these guys? Like, are we are we having this conversation? No, we're having the conversation because it's Dustin Martin. And look, I, I feel I feel for for Chelsea not being able to play. Like, you know, except you want to be able to play in in any game, particularly a grand final. So I get it; it's going to suck, particularly when 
you feel you probably she probably does feel like I could run out there and play. But the rule was brought in for this exact reason to protect the player, and it's been brought in for the in the AFL and the AFLW, mm-hmm. and they've brought it in. and And players have been advocating for more to be done in around concussion. What what would be what would be the negative impact of moving the buy from pre finals to pre grand final? Not not talking about the rule. I'm I'm all for the rule, love the rule, but I'm saying that because the men's well, season is so much longer, it's avoidable. So you're saying you you go straight from round 23 into the that's how we did it for many many years. Yeah, but then we also had that issue where we had we had Ross Lyon resting half of Fremantle. Yeah, you know, Roscoe can do what he wants. He's a, he's his own cat. But what I'm saying is, you can kind of go you can go down, and I know this is very ESPN of me, um, but you could go down the NFL path and have like you know the week off like the Super Bowl, uh, you know, and do media and and have a big celebration in in Melbourne and 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 all this sort of stuff. Like you can kind of you can make it work. I'm sure you could make it work, but I just I like I like going straight from the prelims into the into the grand final. Yeah. I don't want a two week gap. I feel yeah. like that's too long. Okay. I mean, some people might. You know, I know they do it in the NFL, and I know you're you're a big NFL fan yourself. But I don't particularly like it. I prefer to go <laughs> straight from straight. From, and, no, and look, no, don't say that I, too loudly because ESPN will knock on your door and they'll say, "What are you doing working for us?" <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I'm against like the traditionalists, but I um I quite like the idea of going. I don't see a need to change that. But I, for me, yeah, for me, I mean. If that's the only reason we're changing it, then no. Yeah. Like, if we're just changing it just because someone might get concussed and miss uh, 12 days. So, again, it, yeah, we've already said it. It's shattering for Chelsea Randall, absolute star of the competition, um, you know. But the, it was just – it was it was bound to happen one year. It's just yeah. amazing that it's happened in the first, the first grand year. final that we've come across. You know, it's happened before the men's grand final. But to me, it goes back to even looking at the Medi-Sub, and I've commented so many times, I should probably get the numbers. Whoever makes their Medi-Sub first seems to lose another player yep. 10 minutes after and they're down on the bench. So do we just keep adding another one on the, you know, are they going to get to the end of the year? goes, oh, well, it's 10 times this year we finished one short on the bench in the second half, so we need a new interchange player. And we had a concussed player. That yeah, and where does it end? So now we have well, to move yeah. the week. So if they can give me any other reason to move that week before the grand final, besides the concussion protocol, I'm all for it. Let's have a week. Festival of footy. Let's do it. It makes it better. Um, but in I terms love of, the yeah, buy just moving the it for that. And then, it, and then it's going to come down to, well, yeah. you know, it's actually 15 days is better to have off for concussion. So then what do we do? Do we move yeah. it to three weeks? You know, do we yeah. keep moving it? So yeah, it, it's not a good enough reason for me to, to um, yeah. Well, maybe we have a Fair buy enough. after every single round, so then no one ever misses a game. Shut up, we Jack. go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on. We got, we're running out of time. Justified hype or hyperbole? I'll say a statement. You guys tell me if uh, I'm talking in hyperbole or the hype is justified. Jake, the Giants should announce Toby Green as their captain now. Um, that is justified. I think I know it might sound like a, an overreaction to to a really good game, but as we we t- touched on from the top. What more do you need to say about Toby Green? He's a phenomenal player. He's proven to be a great leader, and he's someone I believe would relish the the chance of being the, a captain of that football club, um, particularly with uh, Steve Cornelio, uh, well, one out of form and two, obviously not playing through injury. So I would be, um, you know, you know, we don't want to just say, sorry, Steve, where you're no longer mm. captain, but um, if he was to say... focus on his footy. Yeah, I, I think I think again, as you say about, I think it could be similar to like Jack Viney's situation. Let let yep. Junior focus on his footy and let Green be the captain. I think they could both benefit from that. Spot on. I think the the Jack Viney situation is a, a good precedent for something like this. Maybe not mid season, but I can see that change happening, and I, I agree with you. Uh, Christian Geelong's a mediocre team without Patrick Dangerfield. Uh, probably hyperbole for me. I know they're not going well, but I'm probably sick of the Geelong bashing for the last six seven years, and I've always. <laughs> Being quick to say, you, you never write off Geelong. Um, they've never, they, you know, they've you never write off anybody. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've, they've never had great starts to the year. Um, and I don't think, yeah, I don't think Patrick Dangerfield being out of that team had any sort of. Uh, but what about Pat? Results. What about? A, all right, here's a new one. Are they are they an average team without Patrick Dangerfield and uh, Jeremy Cameron? Well, we, we haven't seen. Yeah, we can't count it. <laughs> wow. yeah, You've fair. never seen Jeremy give, 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 me, give me the easier question. Are they a better team with Dangerfield and Cameron? Yes, they yes, are. They are. So yeah. uh, Geelong on the way yeah, up. We're not yes, about easy are. questions here. Uh, let's move on. Cade Simpson will find a home in the mid-season draft, Jake. I hope he doesn't. I really hope he doesn't, Ooh. you know. Really? I look, I, I was just we were talking about this this morning, and I don't get me wrong, Cade Simpson's been a, one of my favourite players to watch, and I think he's probably just about – 
one of the he's like a Lenny Hayes type. He's a he's a player that everyone loves regardless of who you support. I think you just admire what he's done in his career. But it is frustrating for for me to see him play for Carlton for so long and then potentially go somewhere else. And I think it does kind of show that maybe he didn't want to retire last year. Agreed. Uh, but that um, wasn't the question, though. The question was, well, the statement was he will find a home in the mid-season draft. Well, I think he will. I, yeah. I, I think he will. If I he's mean, in good shape. He was in good. He was playing. He's been playing good footy the last few years. He believes he's in as, as good a shape as he's been in a long time. Um, and I think there's probably, without exaggerating, I think there's half the league would, would jump at taking a Cade Simpson on board, whether, whether it's a Gold Coast or a North wanting experience in their a half back line or whether it's a team going for a flag. I think a lot of teams would be, would be happy to have Cade Simpson out there. Interesting. Uh, all right. That's uh, we've, we've run out of time. We've got to plug some columns though, because we've got a few really important pieces coming out this week, including the one that came out last week, Jake, uh, Josh Dunkley wrote for us. Um, and we're going to have him on the podcast next week, but his column about the social media abuse that he copped after a game a few years ago, uh, kind of went viral, went nuts. Everyone picked it up. Um, if you haven't read that, please do. It's it's a really important piece uh, more than anything. I know that we're plugging it because it's on ESPN, but uh, it's a really important piece to read. Would you yeah, read? I mean, we, we we plug ESPN columns, but I think if there's one piece you're going to read for the year, it was this one. It was It's just a really fascinating insight into some of the horrific social media abuse that players, uh, professional athletes are subject to. And um, Josh is great. He opens up about... Uh, an incident that happened in 2018, and um, what he what he saw on social media following a mistake he made in a match. Pretty shocking and, stuff too. Yeah, it's it's horrific, and it's but it's uh, and it, it can be it is hard reading, but at the same time, I think it's it raises good awareness for for what's yeah. happening. And um, full credit for, to him for opening up about it. And as we said, we'll, we'll probably touch on something. Uh, next week when he's on the pod with us. Mm, uh, AFLW grand final week, as we mentioned, Shannon Gill's got uh, a really, really good yarn about the unique culture that AFLW has built, as well as the continued on-field improvements. And I think it's, uh, again, another really important yarn. And Rocco, Ron Connolly, uh, is going to have his thoughts on player movement coming this week. So espn.com.au forward slash AFL to get around those. Don't forget your tips. Uh, another Thursday game this week, but it is the last Thursday game, so you might not get caught out after round five, uh, like I'm. Been might have been. Did you tip last week? <laughs> <laughs> I missed the Thursday game again. <laughs> Gents, oh, yeah. uh, thanks for joining me. <laughs> we'll talk to you both uh, and Josh Dunkley next week. Uh, we'll speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.